0: good morning once again um, the uh, benefit I think of having uh, at this point an unreliable voice is that I have to be brief Um, so I will be or at least I will try Um, we're gonna be (coughs) uh, talking briefly about the reading from the book of Matthew and Matthew has a way of telling about the story of Jesus' birth that is very different from the way that Luke tells that story. Matthew starts with a genealogy, which everyone just skips over. Um, don't pretend like you don't. Um, <clears throat> I do too. And then he says, all right, Joseph, betrothed to Mary, finds out she's pregnant, is going to you know, end it for obvious reasons. Angel says, hey, slow down the child there is uh, of the Holy Spirit, and you'll name him Jesus, and he's going to save his people, which is what Jesus means. And then Joseph almost like shrugs and says, okay. And then Matthew says something about Isaiah, and then bam, the next chapter, he's already born. Luke likes to focus on the actual birth, and how they ended up in Bethlehem. Matthew doesn't seem to care about that. Um, which is kind of interesting to me. There's one line that I, I want to focus in on. Um, Joseph finds out that his, his betrothed is kind of like a fiancé, although uh, in that culture at that time, uh, in order to get to that point, to get engaged, uh, the uh, groom's family has paid a certain sum of money to uh, the bride's family. Uh, it's not because you're buying women or something like that. It's, it's, it's a dowry. It's a bride price. It, it represents the value of <clears throat> the bride. Not, it's not as chauvinistic as it sounds. This is uh, an agrarian society where if you marry off one of your daughters, you, that family unit has lost a worker. And so in a sense, it's like compensation for that, um, which I think makes it sound a little better to modern ears. And if um, so so contracts in some form or another have actually been signed for Mary and Joseph to get to this point. Now, if uh, the bride is found pregnant before they actually get married, um, that's a problem. Especially from Joseph's perspective, I'd like to think that he's pretty solid and knowing that he is not the father and as it turns out he has some rights if that is the case I kind of because I you know use my time wisely I took a little deep dive and got very distracted in um, some writing from around this time on all of the different scenarios of bride to be pregnant groom not the father and uh, what those rights and those situations might be. And let me tell you, those ancient sages, kind of like proto-rabbis, um, they thought of everything, every conceivable, not, pun, not intended, uh, situation for how this might happen, and then what is owed the groom. And it's always, or almost entirely, what is owed to the groom? If there's a third party, there are some damages there as well, and some punishments potentially. Um, Especially if we're talking about family units that are living more or less hand to mouth, um, always maybe a couple weeks away from starvation, uh, that bride price is, is really important. And so, flexing those rights is likewise very important because your family or that family unit is going to need that money back. But Matthew says, Joseph, being a just man, just, righteous, in Greek it's all the same, Uh, it's the same word, being a just man, decides to put her away quietly. Immediately we have a bunch, uh, we we can make a bunch of conclusions, which is really nice, actually. Um, It means that he is not going to follow through with the procedure Of getting his money back. Any attempt to get the money back after you know the bride theoretically hypothetically cheated or something like that involves public exposure. Public exposure of infidelity like that um, means shame and potential legal ramifications for the bride-to-be and they are not good at all. And so Joseph being a just man, according to Matthew, gives up that right. That's huge. And I've I've been fascinated, really, this whole week, with the idea that he, being a just man, gives up that right, that claim. What an odd combination. Being just or righteous, giving up something that is legally yours. When we think of somebody who is just or righteous, assuming we are not being sarcastic and labeling them that, you know, like, oh yeah, he's very righteous, which means he's insufferable and I don't invite him to parties. Um, if somebody is just or righteous, we tend to label that person a rule follower. Somebody who knows the proper procedures or the proper steps knows how to behave. And when we talk about, like, You know, our rights as Americans, those are very important to us. Modern, Western, um, and therefore Americans, like, we love our rights. We love to hold on to those. Now, I'm not saying rights aren't important. But we love them. Um, For example, we're finally, finally finishing up our claim to our rights for compensation for all the stuff that our movers broke. Absolutely, I'm flexing that Right. They broke it. That doesn't make me terribly just or righteous. That makes me poor. Um, that's a joke. But. but Joseph is just, in Matthew, the way Matthew describes it, in part because he gives up that right. Um, because he's going to protect Mary from the shame Punishment and all kinds of other tough stuff that that will dom- likely dominate her for the rest of her life, however long that might be. Um, because for him, that's more important. He's giving up that right so that she can be safe. Giving up his claim for the sake of somebody else. I would suggest to you that that's exactly who you want raising Jesus that is exactly the kind of role model you would want for somebody like that. Um, Christians throughout the millennia actually have a very rich history of giving up their rights for, and giving up their safety, if you will, for the sake of others. A bishop named Dionysius in, I think, the third century uh, famously talked about how Christians among the broader Greco-Roman pagan world were rumored to be immune to the plague. And when I say plague, I don't mean whatever's going on right now here. I mean like the plague um, that would come through and just wipe out massive chunks of population. Because all of the Greco-Roman pagans, when if they had any kind of money when the plague started, they would flee. And the Christians would rush into the cities which is the exact opposite thing that you would do. They're giving up their safety, and they would act as nurses and caretakers for those who were sick. Some caught the plague and died. Some, as best we can tell, seemed to have built up an immunity to it, uh, or, or otherwise were protected, and the pagans had no categories for people who would be willing to do that. I would suggest that that pattern, then we could go on for quite a long time, but we will not, Um, begins first with a man, just a day laborer named Joseph, who decides to do the right thing instead of the thing that he is legally owed. And that results in a family who eventually will make their way down to Bethlehem who will then have to flee Bethlehem because Herod the Great is a genocidal tyrant uh, and is trying to kill Jesus along with all the other kids under two. Um, They will have to uh, become refugees to Egypt. They will then find out it's safe, but they can't return back to Bethlehem because Herod the Great's son is even worse than his dad. And so they end up settling in Nazareth. And then we hear nothing about him for like 10 years, and then just one random occurrence when Jesus is 12, and then nothing until Jesus is 33 As best we can tell by this point, Joseph has passed away, but then Jesus, well, he hits the scene, fully grown, and he starts saying weird things, like God is finally moving. This is what it looks like when God is present. The lame walk, the blind see, the hungry have food, the naked are clothed, those who are under the boot of injustice now have justice brought to them. Um, he takes on the mantle of his people, which ultimately means that he ends up giving up his life. Just like stepdad gave up his claim, Jesus goes into his grave through a brutal death, for the people that rejected him, for you and me. And when God raised him from the dead three days later, something new started. The Apostle Paul will say that even though he had equality with God, he did not use that equality as something that he could grasp for his own benefit, but instead, he emptied himself for us. Just like stepdad. We have one week till Christmas. All of these stories, everything that I have just said, finds its focal point in what is all, uh, all things considered a very humble beginning. And then ends up changing the course, the entire course of human history. This baby grows up to win you salvation, to bring new creation, and a fresh start into you and your lives and those around us. Amen.